checking this out, then you're, you're really welcome. I hope that you take something from this morning. We're, we're looking at the first book of the Bible, uh, which is Genesis, and um, the impact that that has on our lives and how we should live, and is it relevant for today, and all those, all those questions. And if I were to summarise, this is like week three of it, if I were to summarise the last couple of weeks, uh, I'll just say that um, on that first week, the introduction, we looked at uh, Genesis as a, as a faith book, that, it, that it's not a book that you believe because you can prove every word of it, it's a book that you believe by faith, that it's, it's faith that causes you to believe it. it it's, it's faith that causes me to believe that God created the world, and it's the same faith that causes me to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not a different faith. I don't need different types of faith here. I just need to believe um, uh, what what Jesus had done. And uh, last week, so that was the first week we looked at that. And then last week, we looked at the reality that it was the Father who created the world. It wasn't just a God who was out there, the ruler, the judge, the being, the spirit. Um, It was the Father. Because the Bible tells us that... that, um, you know, when Jesus prays in John 17, he says, he says that he prays to his Father that he would give him the glory that he had before the world began because, because he loved him before the world began. That the Father loved the Son. Before, before he ever created the world, he loved the Son. And, and what that tells us, which is really encouraging, is that the God who created was a Father. He was a Father who loved. And so... If you're a Christian here, you need to understand that. You need to know that for yourself. And if you're not a Christian here, you need to understand that the God who created the world was a father. That's where we get the idea of family from. That's where love comes from. You don't love God because he's the judge. You might be grateful that the judge lets you off. You don't love him because he lets you off. You're grateful because he lets you off. You love him because he's a father. And so we looked at that. Uh, last week, and, and this week we, we just move on in our text to the next section, which is uh, Genesis 1, verse 3 to 31. It's the, it was the Father who created the world, and now we're going to look at how he created it. So I've just asked uh, three people just to read through this, and I'm just going to hand them the mic and trust that the mic gets handed to the right person. So, David, you're first. Yeah, you can stand. Just stand there and read. You don't need to come out, but you okay. can stand and read. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called it the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it, was, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to, to one place, and let the ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and, the, and gathered, gathered waters, the gathered waters he called seed. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was good. 
the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit and seed in according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the great expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it remains um, an account. There remains an account here in the scripture of how you created the world. And Father, it's, it's our desire to understand it in such a way that it makes sense to us today. It's our desire to understand it that we can continue to worship the God that we believe in, but not worship out of ignorance or, or blind, blind panic or fear, but worship out of an assurance of what you've done. 
And so I pray, Father, that you would uh, help me this morning by your spirit. You would open our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've entitled this talk, Created in His Image. And I really simply, I just want to make three observations. You could, lots, lots of questions might go through your mind as they read that. And you might be thinking, oh, is he going to cover this? Or is he going to cover that? What's he going to say about this? Um, and I'm probably not going to say a lot of things you might want me to say. <laughs> I'm just, it's three really simple things. And, and they are these. I'm going to talk about the reasonableness of creation I'm going to talk about the goodness of creation and I'm going to talk about the pinnacle of creation. Because you'll remember on the first week I talked about the fact that, um, that really I come to this as a pastor. I don't come to this to... I'm not trying to defend the Bible here. I'm coming as a pastor to try and help people uh, live out their Christian life and their experience in a world which challenges it in every which way. So that's, that's how I'm approaching it. So my first point, the reasonableness of creation. It actually makes sense. Um, when I was uh, uh, younger, quite a bit younger, we used to have a, a sort of a, a keep fit club, and I used to go to it, yeah. I used to go to this keep fit club at the church that I was in, in the church hall. And um, actually, although you won't believe this, I was probably one of, one of the fittest guys there, and, uh, you know, I used to play sport and stuff. And... Um, we used to play basketball in the church hall. And there was myself, and I was, I was okay at basketball. And so I was brilliant. I was okay at basketball. Um, I was better than a lot of people, and that made me probably feel I was better than I was. Um, and on the other, so I was on one team, and there was a guy on the other team who was really good at basketball. He was a lot better than me. Um, but on my team, I was probably the next, you know, the next thing. And um, probably because he was doing really well, and I wasn't doing so well, um, suddenly it became personal, yeah? So it was me versus him. So although there were other people on our team, I wasn't really interested in the other people on my team or his team. I was simply interested in him. And so whenever he came up with the ball, I'd write, go in, in there with... I mean, he was, he was still like... I, I was good enough to stop him scoring, although I wasn't good enough to, like, to beat him, but I was good enough to make it difficult for him. And there was a point where he said, what's, what's the problem? <laughs> What's the problem? And it, it obviously got a bit personal with me. And, uh, you know, it wasn't meant to be like that. He was actually a good friend. We were there to enjoy ourselves and everything. And sometimes when I think about the, the issues that we have between creation and science, sometimes I look at it a bit like that, that, that suddenly it's almost like there came a point where, uh, you know, um, where, where it got personal. And, and it was creation v. science, and it was, it was the Christian story v. the, the other stories, and, and, it, and it suddenly got personal, and science was sort of throwing some blows, and, and Christianity, rather than going, hey, hey, what's the big problem, started to throw its own blows back, and we ended up having this big debate, and people write books about it, creation and science v. science, and are they, are they the same, are they dissimilar, and all these types of things. It's become a sad reality in the modern world that Christianity and science have set themselves up against one another. It's a, it's a sad reality. It is a reality, but it's a sad reality. You see, in previous eras, that was not the case. That was not the case in previous eras. Many Christians, previous eras, were scientists and theologians. 
many Christians, were scientists and theologians. Robert Boyle, who was a scientist and a theologian, way back in the 17th century, he argued this, that the study of science would increase the glorification of God. And he's right. Yeah, At one level, he's right. If you've ever heard Louis Gigolot talk about... Um, um, uh, you know, uh, how great God is. He's got this amazing talk where he shows the stars and the heavens and all this sort of stuff. It, it does nothing but cause you to glorify God more when you realise the size of his creation. Robert Boyle was right when he said that. Isaac Newton, who discovered the laws of gravity, was also a Christian. So you've got eminent scientists in the past who believed in the Lord Jesus. They believed as we believed. Isaac Watts, who was a prolific hymn writer, he wrote Joy to the World. He wrote When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. They're among his most famous works. He was also a scientist. He was a logician. He worked with mathematics. In the past, creation and science were, were, were bedfellows. They were together. They weren't separate. We live in a world where it's become personal. You know, you almost think, can you find a scientist who actually has any sort of faith? We live in a world, it's like that. Now, there are all sorts of reasons why, why that has happened, but that's where we live right now, and it's quite sad. You see, for the Christian, the idea that God's world and his word would be, in, would be contradictory doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me that, that God would create the world and then the, the view of creation that people come up with is completely contradictory to, how God, to the fact that God created it and how he created it. The truth is, for generations, for centuries, science, rather than contradict the creation story, supported it. For centuries, it supported it. It made sense. And it supported it not simply because all these guys were Christians, it supported it because actually it made sense. You see, there is a creation order, and we're going to take a bird's eye view of the creation order. We're not going to drill down into the detail because I'm not very good at the detail, really. Um, but also because when you take a bird's eye view, I'm just trying to take a, an overall look at it and say, okay, does it actually make sense? Does it actually Fit. The creation story that was read to us talks about the first thing that was created was light and darkness. Light and darkness, first, thing, first things that were created. The skies and then the water. And God separated the water and, and he separated it through the skies, which is interesting because it means that above the skies there's water, which is obviously where rain comes from. I, I, but I, that scientific, I don't know. So don't, please, don't, please don't quote me. Please don't come back and say, you know you said that? Yeah? So I'm already telling you I don't know. Yeah, I'm just, just reading it and I don't know. Day three, land appears. And then the first plants. Now, now obviously, here we have, you know, we have a, uh, probably our first issue. How do plants appear when it's not till day four that he creates the sun and the moon? How, do, how does that happen? He seemed to create on light on day one, but not till day three does land first plants appear. Day four, the sun, the moon, the seasons, the days, and the years are created, it tells us. Day five, Suddenly at day five, or at day five, the world is inhabitable. It's possible for something to live on it, according to the Bible. And the first things that live on it come in the water and are the birds in the air. And then on day six, it seems that God creates the animals 
and he creates the humans right at the end as the sort of pinnacle of his creation. Now, the truth is, science more or less confirms that order. There are little bits where you could pull out and go, oh, no, it doesn't confirm. But more or less, it confirms that order. Light and darkness were indeed the first things that were created. God didn't create the lion before he created the sun. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say that, and science wouldn't tell you that. The water and the sky make sense. Plants were created before the animals, but the sea animals were created before the land animals, and man is the final act of creation. I once watched a program which Sir David Attenborough was doing, and he said this. I don't know that he used these words, so please don't, again, quote me. But he said something like, if, if the world had been created in one hour, man would have arrived in the 59th minute. Just as, just as it was completed, that's when man would have arrived. Well, how interesting is that? Because the Bible says exactly the same. The Bible says that the final thing God created on the, on the earth was man and that he was the pinnacle of creation. It confirms it. So I ask the question, how could a man like Moses, who we say, who, who we attribute to the creation story, Genesis, how, how would he know that order of things? How, how would he have understood all of that? I don't know how many of you have ever read other creation stories. There are other creation stories about how the world got created. You know, there's Greek mythology and there's other sort of things. But to be honest, they are mythology and they are fantasy. They are disproved by science time and time again. The Christian creation story isn't disproved by science. You take a bird's eye view, science actually proves it. It affirms it. It confirms it. And that makes sense. It makes sense. The other thing we need to understand about the creation story is it's more than physical. It's more than the fact that God created a physical world. I was watching during our worship Phil play the keyboards. And uh, yeah, I used to have piano lessons. I used to play, got grade one. Um, I was watching him play the keyboard and, and I was just imagining somebody creating or building a keyboard. Imagine if you could build a keyboard and, and you built it and exactly like this. Yeah? And you said, look, no, no, somebody, you know, somebody built that. And you, say, and you say that it anyone built it. Somebody just built this keyboard. But actually, it would be really bizarre if somebody who built the keyboard didn't know why they were building it. That they didn't understand that, that the keyboard has the ability to make music and music has the ability to move people. If all you ever focused on was the physical building of the keyboard, it, that just doesn't make any sense. It literally doesn't make any sense that somebody would understand how to build a keyboard but not know the purpose of the keyboard. Why would you build a keyboard? Imagine if we all stood around it and we were Martians and we looked at this thing and we thought, what's this for? Why did anyone build this? And we didn't understand. If you think of creation as purely physical, you've missed something. You really have missed something. Creation is much more than a physical thing. And the creation story in the Bible gives those explanations. It gives the explanations. Where does the idea of family come from? Where, do, where does that come from? It's not in evolution that suddenly there were families and that they had fathers and mothers. Where does it come from? Where does love come from? 
You can't see love, it's an emotion. Where does it come from? Where does the idea of community and relationship, which resonates with us, whether we're Christian or not Christian, those things resonate with us. Where do they come from? Where do those feelings come from? Why did God make male and female? Why do people have a propensity and a desire to worship something? Why? Why do we do that? Where does our sense of responsibility for each other and the environment come from? Because it is there. Where does it come from? If creation is purely a physical act, where do all these non-physical things that make up the world in which we live come from? Now, if you don't believe the creation story that God created the world, you don't have an answer for those questions. Not really a satisfactory one. You don't. There isn't a book that says physical creation, hey, and then there's spiritual creation, and we can... No, you don't have a satisfactory answer for them. But if you believe the creation story it suddenly makes sense. Oh, yeah, the God who created the world, he was already a father. How did he become a father? I I don't know, but he was a father. That's how he presents himself. Oh, the father loved that. Oh, that makes sense to me. Suddenly it makes sense. Why do we worship in Genesis 4? It tells us there came a point when people began to lift up their hands to God. Oh, that there's a point in the Bible. It tells us that people began to pray. People began to gather in families. People had a desire to worship something. Why did Cain and Abel bring sacrifices? There was something in them that they needed to give. Without the creation story, it's a bit like building a keyboard and not knowing why you've done it, what its purpose is. You don't know that you can play it. And you don't know that you can play it in such a way that it moves people. And you don't know that you can play it in such a way that it gives you satisfaction. You don't know that. It's like we've lost part of the puzzle. It's like we've only got half the manual. The creation story is reasonable. It makes sense. Secondly, the goodness of creation. What God created was good. It's really important for us to note that God didn't create anything that was substandard. There was nothing in his creation that he didn't call good. 1 Timothy 4 affirms this, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. God blessed his creation. He told all living things to be fruitful and increase in number. He told told the birds of the air and the fish in the sea to do the same thing. It might mean that, anyway, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. However, God created things that were good, but he did not create things that were divine. God is divine. Yeah? And by by divine I mean, God did not create anything in the world that is worthy of worship. Nothing. There is nothing that has been created that is worthy of our allegiance, that is worthy of our worship, that's worthy of us kneeling down and bowing down to it. Nothing. There is nothing in the world that that is worthy of all my energy, all my thinking. God didn't create idols. We create the idols. We live in a world now where all we do is we live on the physical. Yeah. So we worship what's in the physical. God didn't create us for that. In Acts of the Apostles, the Apostle Paul observes this. 
Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in, a tem- in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all, li- all men life and breath and everything else. Just to remind you of a point I made last week, God didn't create us out of need. If he created us out of need, it would make sense that we feel some obligation towards him. But he didn't create us out of need, which is why salvation is an act of grace. It's grace. You come to him freely. But from this passage, it tells us that by the time the Apostle Paul's writing this, people have objects of worship. They carve things out of stone, out of wood. They worship the sun. They worship the rain. They worship the pig. They worship Whatever it is, people begin to worship objects that they make, not realizing how on earth can you worship something that you yourself have created? How is that thing worthy of more worship than you? Secondly, it tells us that they even created something to an unknown God. And in some ways, it gives us an insight into why they worshipped. Why would you worship something that you don't even know is there? In some ways, the worship of idols and objects is motivated by fear. It's motivated by fear. A fear that if I displease the God who gives me the sun and the rain, if I displease him, he might withhold the sun and the rain. Yeah? I'm fearful that he might withhold those things, therefore I worship him. He might withdraw the provision or the protection. The inscription to the unknown God is motivated by fear, just in case. Just in case there is a God out there that I don't know yet, and I don't want to, mi- I don't want to offend him by not worshipping him, I will create something that is to the unknown God. I don't know who you are, but in case you're there, I want to put something there, just, so I, j- just in case. So if you come down to me, I can say, look, here, we're worshipping you. We're worshipping you. And the Apostle Paul goes on and explains to them. It's a bit like when you head your bets. You're not sure about something, so I better put something in here just in case. And then it tells us he's not served by human hands. He's not needed. He doesn't need you and me. Paul was quick to point out the true object of our worship is the God of heaven and earth who gives life. You see, today, we don't so much worship gods made of wood and stone. If I came to your house today, I doubt whether I would see a little statue that you had carved out. I doubt whether I would see some stones placed in a particular way that once every morning you get up and you work. I doubt whether I would find that. In our day, we've moved on from wood and stone and we worship ourselves more than anything else. We worship ourselves. We We look in the mirror. Some of us look in the mirror and we go, do you know what? They're a lucky, lucky bunch. Yeah? Now, I I don't look in the mirror and say that, I can assure you. But, But some of us worship ourselves. We worship our own image. We satisfy our own desires. Whether it's for money or for or 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 for sex or for whatever, we satisfy our own thing. We worship ourselves. We bring sacrifices to ourselves. We love ourselves. 
And we live in a world where people do that all the time. I mean, I've said before, I think it was, it was either Beyonce or Rihanna who had, who had an album called I Am. I Am. Like, like you're what? <laughs> or Tiny Temper sings a song, Written in the Stars. It's all about destiny. I'm like, really? We worship self more than anything else, which is why we now challenge God. Yeah? That's why we challenge him. We're not interested in what God thinks. The way people talk about God, you would be, you, as a Christian, you'd be shocked. You think, really? We worship self more than anything else. It's the goodness of creation. God made everything good, but he didn't make it divine. Only he is worthy of worship. The third point is the pinnacle of creation. That God did indeed make us the pinnacle of his creation. But it was his creation, not our creation. He made us the pinnacle of his creation, not our creation. A few years ago, as you know, I wrote a book. And in my book, I, I quoted this verse, Genesis 1, verse 27. It's not often I get to quote my own book. But I, well, actually, I'm quoting the Bible, which is in the book. Um, I, I quoted this passage, Genesis 1, 27, about the idea of being created in his image. And I said, if we really understood that verse... If I really understood I was created in the image of God, if I really took hold of that, if we really took hold of that, it would put to death feelings that I have at times and you have at times of feeling inferior or superior to someone else. It would put it to death. If you understood I'm created in the image of God, why would I ever have an inferior thought about myself? You're created in the image of God. Why would I ever have a superior thought about you? You, it would put it to death if we understood that verse. That, that, that superiority, inferiority, because of our race, our education, our background, our vocation, our gender, our mistakes, or anything else, humanity has been created in the image of God and therefore has limitless value to God. Limitless value. And we know it's limitless value because God sent his son to die. And, and I'm not being funny, but he didn't send his son to die for rabbits. He didn't send his son to die for the beaver. Yeah? He sent his son to die for us. He didn't create those animals in his image in the way that he created you and me in his image. We sang a song which comes from a passage in Psalm, Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 and 5. It says this, When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. That's talking about you and that's talking about me. Or another passage, Psalm 139 it says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now I understand why some people might take that verse and they use it to argue against things like abortion. Yeah? But do you know what? 
I don't think that verse was written for that purpose. I think that verse was written so that you and I would understand something about how God has made us. I think it was written so that you and I would not despise the, the way he has made us. That we wouldn't sit there thinking, oh, I wish I was like this or I like that. I wish I was taller. I wish I was shorter. I wish I was thinner. I wish I was fat. That we wouldn't think those things because we realise, oh, he created me in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from him. God is amazing. And the way he created you was amazing. Psalm 139 again at the beginning, it says this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. God knows you better than you know yourself. In a really, really deep way. I don't just mean superficially. Oh yeah, he knows everything. No, he knows you better than you know yourself. He has plans for you better and bigger than you have for yourself. The problem we have is that we end up taking all of that ourselves and trying to create it for ourselves. God chose to make man as the final and masterpiece of his creation. At that point, creation moves from good to very good. There is something of him that is in us. The breath of God is in us. The image of God is who is what we have. That's why God sent Jesus as a son and not as an animal. Because we are the image of God. That's why Jesus said when he came to earth, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before there were ever commandments, before there was ever a church, before there were ever Christians, we all were created in his image. We were created in his image. We are God's friends. We are God's workmanship, the Bible tells us. So I want to ask this question. As a Christian, if you're a Christian here, how do, how do you view yourself? How do you view yourself? Because if all this is true, it's possible to view yourself in a way that is completely wrong and would require you to repent. It's possible that you think of yourself and, and rather than think of yourself as God sees you, that you're created in his image, that you're thankful, that actually you despise yourself. You don't like yourself. Why am I like this? Why am I this tall? Why am I this short? Why am I this colour? That there are certain things, that, why did I make those mistakes? Why did that happen to me? If you think like that, then you are not seeing yourself as God sees you. And if you don't see yourself as God sees you, it's very difficult to then help other people see themselves as God sees them. One of the things that we feel called to be as a church is a place where people come and they are restored in God. Yeah, that through, uh, through the preaching and the praying and the worship and, and all those different things that we take part in, the praying together, that actually we would see people come to a place where they are restored, where they are made whole, where they are redeemed. But it's difficult to bring people to a place of restoration if we've not been to a place of restoration. 
So I'm not talking about here whether you're a Christian or, oh, no, I understand all that. Some of us are Christians, but actually we've not been restored. You still have a very low self-image. Or maybe you have a very high image of yourself. I don't know. Many people still live in that sort of world. And so when you, when you come to God, you still come with that type of mentality. It's a bit like last week. It's, it's difficult to introduce people to a father that you don't know is your father. If you think God of, as ruler and judge and not father, you will never be able to bring anyone to a point of them understanding, no, God is father. He's father. We are the pinnacle of his creation. Truly valuable. It's interesting that we are doing a series and that, that I mean, we didn't think through all these thoughts at the time, but, but this whole idea of being a church that sees people restored and, and then those who have become restored themselves become restored. That's, that's a biblical picture. It's biblical, you read it in Isaiah 61, but... It's also biblical because you look at the life of Peter and you see a man who was restored and redeemed who then went on to restore and redeem others. It didn't mean that he, was the, he wasn't the cause of salvation, but he certainly helped others come to that place. And God has called us to do that as a church. But first and foremost, he's taken us back to the very beginning. He's taken us back to the place where we understand what he's done for us in order that we can help others understand what he's done for them. And one of the biggest issues that we have is understanding who God is. What has he done? How does he really see me? God has led us to this place. So when I talk like this, this is not just about the church here. This is not just about you and me and the few of us that are here. This is about a world that God is calling us to reach. And in order for us to reach it, he wants to equip us. He wants us to be ready. And so I want to encourage you not to miss the opportunity for your own restoration, for your own coming to that place where you understand, ah, I'm created in his image. That means that those negative thoughts about myself, I need to take hold of them, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I need to take hold of them. I need to get them out. I don't live in that negativity anymore. I don't live with that thought that I'm rubbish or I'm ugly or I'm fat or I'm thin or I'm black or I'm white. I don't live with any of that because we've been created in his image. And not only have I been created in his image, in a few weeks we'll look at the fall and all of that. I've been restored because of Christ. I've been redeemed. I've been made whole. I've been made perfect. When God redeems us, it's not like you get a bit of paper and you screw it up like this and you say, okay, this is my life, this is the impact of sin and I open it out again and I say, look, oh, it's all sort of, I can spread it out and make it. And what God does, he takes that old bit of paper and he puts it down, he throws it away and you, you become a clean bit of paper again. It's like you're clean again. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of redemption. We're going to respond this morning. Guys, do you want to come... Phil. We're going to go back to that song that we sang earlier, Lord, how majestic you are. And really maybe just going over that refrain, you're my everything, you who created. 
And I, I want to encourage you, I do want to encourage you not to, not to miss a moment for your own restoration. That God is still restoring us, but he's doing it for a purpose in order that we might restore others. So can we stand and I'm just going to pray and then we'll sing this together. Encourage you to respond. You, you'll become more familiar as we do this. You just encourage you to come down. Come down the front. You can kneel. You can stand. You can sit. You can just come and have your own communion with God. Um, but I'm asking you to activate faith by doing something, not simply by listening to the talk and going, oh yeah, that was helpful. If we don't activate our faith, if we don't grasp it, then all you do become is you just become a bit fatter with knowledge. It's knowledge. And this is more than knowledge. This is the ability to have your life changed. To be different. To walk with God. And to one day help others walk to Him as well. Just as we sing, if I know that sometimes people have, you know, if you regularly you know you have a word or you bring a word here then if you've got something you might want to just come out so we can bring in um, anything prophetic that God has to say to people otherwise I want you to I want you to do your business with God there's an opportunity again to do business with him